Welcome all to another episode of Share a Slice. This week, I've got an interesting conversation with journalist, author, blogger, and podcaster, Richard McCall. He's originally from the UK, but now he lives in Bogota, Colombia, where he runs a stunningly beautiful guest house, La Casa Amarilla. Without further ado, let's talk to Richard. Uh, welcome, Richard. Uh, thank you, Sean. Thank you for having me on the show. It's a real pleasure. So, uh, Richard, uh, I guess let's get started. I mean, you weren't always in Colombia. You, you, I mean, you were born in, uh, in the UK. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what brought you to Colombia in the first place? Yes, of course. Um, well, I was born in the UK and my formative, let's say, education was all in the UK. And I come from a fairly nomadic family. My father had lived almost a decade in Brazil. My mother had hitchhiked in Mexico in the 60s when she was like 18. Um, I guess a sort of natural progression. I, I did a year abroad in Guatemala when I was at university and was really bitten by this South America or Latin America bug. I mean, I just, I just couldn't get enough and then started studying intensely and then ended up traveling the, the whole region over two years, more or less, and then falling into a master's in journalism in, back in London. And I realized I didn't want to be in London. And, and then uh, I ended up, again, I sort of fall into jobs. I fell into a job being a social projects coordinator and, and a freelance journalist and expedition guide. And I was originally working in Peru and Ecuador, sometimes in Bolivia, a little bit in Chile, and then in Brazil. And that's, uh, you know, when I sort of came to the end, I was like, yeah, no more. I, I, I'm tired. That's like four years after doing this, of, of living out of a bag and doing three to six month contracts here and there across uh, South America. But you, you get tired, you know? Yeah, I, can, I mean, I can only imagine. So you settled down. Actually, I probably can't imagine. I, I actually don't travel too well myself. Um, so you settled down in, in Bogota, Colombia, in Bogota. Correct? Yes, Bogota, Colombia. Yes. Well, so after the, about the four years um, of of working in this sort of nomadic nomadic experience, I was it was two thousand and six in Brazil, and I was working in the northeast in a region called Bahia, very beautiful region of Brazil, uh, known for more of its heritage of the former black slaves, but wonderful beaches and jungles and and scenery and. As it happened, I'd caught malaria in the, in the Amazon, but then had been moved down to Bahia to work, and I'd got hemorrhagic dengue there. Ooh. So I was laid out with both of these diseases in a public hospital in rural Brazil, and that's mm. when, uh, well, I survived, because I'm here to tell you the, 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 the story. I almost didn't survive. I almost didn't live to see 30. And I said, you know, I'm too, I just can't do this anymore. And, uh, you know, after some deep, let's say, soul searching, I decided to, to move to Colombia, which was incidentally the country that my father had made me promise not to go to. Ah, <laughs> so. exactly. Well, that maybe that might have formed some sort of part of it. Uh, who knows? Yes, I think I'm just, a, you know, I think I'm a, a, a rebel at heart, but not, you know, not, not rebellious, but a rebel at heart without knowing it. <laughs> Dengue and uh, malaria are no joke. I actually have a friend who caught malaria, and uh, l let's just say that he always was struggling with weight uh, before he caught malaria. And after he was done with malaria, he was he was very thin. Like uh, it it 
it's really no joke. You got to get your shots. Uh, I um I fell to fifty kilos when I was in that uh, period of my life. Uh, I was I was emaciated, but it was because of both illnesses. And you know, I was on I was on the uh, the drugs for malaria. I was on the anti-malarials, but they're not a hundred percent effective. And if you're working in the Amazon, you know, you're at greater risk. All I know is that I mean, I'm a little freaked out about going to certain places. Uh, I do some charity work. Um, I guess by proxy with uh, with a school, a humanist school in Uganda. And uh, frankly, um, I've read stories about uh, worms that that kind of bore them way way through your your feet and go up to your brain. Did you get the worms? I've had a worm in my foot. The board it was oh. it came from. Uh, cow feces oh. near to a beach in uh, in a place called Sao Luis. And, and it, there was this, you know, it's a place called Jericoacoara, which is now becoming very, very fashionable and, and chic. And this was some years ago, though. And, and it did say, oh, there are problems with these worms. And of course, you, you but you're at a beach place. So you're, yeah, you're, right, always, you're always, you know, barefoot. And I was sitting on the, you know, one night I felt like I'd been bitten by a mosquito on oh, the underside of God. my foot. And I was yeah. like, this is... This is strange because, you know, why would they bite the underside? I mean, it's the toughest part and everything. And I thought nothing about it. And then about a week later, I started to see, I, I was sort of inspecting because it was itching at night. And so I so to, took the flashlight to it and saw that this line, a red line followed the underside from where the bite was. And it had now come over to the sort of roof of my foot. Oh, and, is this the worm or is this where it burrowed? The worm and where it burrowed, oh. and it was so it was underneath oh, the skin. Oh, we're gonna skin. have to change the topic really soon. <laughs> it was really horrible, but uh, <laughs> so I went to the doctor. I'll, I'll quickly get this out. Of, you know, I went to the doctor, and I, you know, I said, well, you know, I've got this, and they went, ah, oh, you've got this, 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 and they just wrote me out a prescription, and I just thought it'd be some drugs to kill it. Oh, the the prescription included a, a razor blade, a pumice oh, stone, and some cream. I I had to cut it out. Oh wow, they gave that to you. Oh, that's yes. good. Here, figure this out. Oh, yeah. that that's great. Let's do it yourself. Had, yeah, so I so I sat on the balcony of my hostel then and 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 lifted my foot up onto the railing and, and See, cut it. Fortunately, thing, it wasn't too deep. Well, I mean, the thing is that I mean, uh, I, even though it gives me the heebie-jeebies like big time. I mean, if I were in the same situation, I'd be like, okay, I, this bugger is going to get out of my foot right now. I mean, you're you're kind of left between a rock and a hard place, you know? Yeah. You know, that's it. It's like you do it or you do it. Otherwise, it will continue and it can go to your joints and then that can create some sort of paralysis. And oh, you know, yeah. It's out. It needs to be out. Wow. I mean, okay, so let's get to something a little more uh, palatable to some of the listeners. Um, <laughs> a bit more cheery. <laughs> yeah. So so you you went to um, Colombia and you, you started a, is it a hotel or is it a, a guest house or what do you have there? Yeah. We, this is in a small town called Mompos, which is about five or six hours inland from the Colombian Caribbean coast. So you follow this famous river, which is the Magdalena River, down from the north coast inland. It's a colonial town, uh, originally built in the late, well, 16th century, pretty much. Uh, I got there in 2007 during supposedly high season for tourism, and there were only two foreigners. All the tourists were, were, were nationals. I ended up buying this house because it was just too cheap. You know, a house which dates back to the very end of the uh, 16th century, beginning of the 17th century. And I didn't really know what to do with it. So I thought, well, you know, if I can only do, I can do some, 
some, let's say, some superficial restorations and open it as a hostel. Because if people looking for hostels aren't looking for the, the you know, top-end stuff. But then over the years, I've just kept on renovating and renovating and you know, keeping in line with the authentic architecture of the, the colonial period. It's now a hotel. It's, it's, we've got 10 rooms. They're, all rooms are fully equipped with their Wi-Fi and the cable TV and air conditioning and everything that you possibly want. It's, it's small. It's, it's easy to manage. I'm hardly ever there now, which is the best way to be when you've got a business, I think. I've got a great local team who run everything, and it's all through local um, providers and, and everything else. It's, it's, we, we started it with the aim of creating an economic stimulus in a town that was really, uh, let's say, not even in the first or second wave of areas to visit in Colombia. So we were sort of pushing the envelope a little bit. And most people thought we were, me and my wife, uh, who's Colombian, we were kind of mental and doing it. But it's, it's paid off. And eight years later, we have a, a, you know, a roaring success story on our hands. You know, that's great. I mean, I mean, I guess the next time I go down to Colombia, not that I've ever been to Colombia, <laughs> I would, I would consider going there. Um, I mean, yeah, definitely. Um, so, I mean, and this is sort of like off the, it's not one of the main cities of Colombia. It's sort of off the beaten path a little bit. In the eight years that we've been working, the roads have been paved, the bridges have been built. There's no security issue. You're not going through a, a guerrilla area or a, a paramilitary area. You know, there is a long-running conflict that's hopefully going to come to an end uh, quite soon in Colombia. Let's say soon because it's been going on for 50 years. So if it comes to an end in the next couple of years, that's, that's soon when we talk about these, these <laughs> periods of time. But uh, you're not going through any conflict areas. It's just about Colombia really lacked infrastructure. You know, really lacked it. And, and that was largely in part due to this conflict which has strafed the country. But this town has never really been at risk. It's just been forgotten. It's a backwater. Uh, you know, you've got the main areas of, uh, to visit in Colombia. The main cities would be Bogota and Medellin, uh, Cartagena on the Colombian coast. But for those people who are looking for a little bit more adventure and getting out there a bit more and seeing something more authentic, then it's, 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 it's highly recommended. Uh, we were mentioned in the New York Times, so that was a really big coup for us. Wow, that's great! And and so you actually so you run the hotel, and also you have this uh, podcast. Uh, yes, and it's called uh, Columbia Calling. And uh, so you, I mean, you got this podcast with um, what is it called? Overseas Radio? Is that it? Yeah, Overseas Radio Network. I was interviewed on a different show. On, on that platform, on the Overseas Radio Network. I guess it was over two years ago. I think it was like someone who was running an expat uh, radio show just you know, found me, I guess, through the ether and said, can I interview you? And then uh, they said, uh, you know, the guy said, well, listen, we've stopped the interview now and my editor's on the line and he wants to talk to you. And I said, oh, fine. You know, I'll, I'll talk to anyone. <laughs> and he's, he, he, the editor is bizarrely in Costa Rica because you can be location independent with all of these types of jobs. And he said, we're looking for someone to, to host a show in, in uh, Colombia. Would you be interested? Now, I have a background in journalism, but nothing, nothing with radio. So I was fascinated. And, and well, we've now run Columbia Calling has been going since uh, well, it's more than two years now. I'm on to 136 episodes just uh, one gone out today about the new marathon that will take place in Colombia in 2017. 
Um, but it's, it's, it's fun. But as you know, it's, it's also hard to find the right people week in, week out to interview. Are you, yeah, I, tell I, me about I get it. A, <laughs> and, and, you know, you get people who are saying, well, I'd love to be interviewed. And then you put them in front of a microphone and they're kind of, they, they, they freeze. And you're like, well. The thing about the podcast, I think, that struck me is that when I first saw the, um, the iTunes listing on it, I thought, oh, this would be sort of like a travel podcast or something. Mm-hmm. But then when I actually listened to it, I realized that, for instance, the last episode was about the situation with prisons in the, in the country. And it, it's not really a travel show. It's, it's more of like, a, I guess, sort of a journal or a magazine about the country itself. Well, I thank you for that because I've been trying to move away from uh, the travel element of it because it would be too easy for me to sort of fall into the trap of of getting one after another sort of travel blogger on. But then how much new information could we possibly share? And Colombia is a country that is so... Un- unknown, it really is. I mean, it's been cut off really from from the outside world uh, due to its politics and due to the conflict. I really wanted to do something different and, and to be able to inform. And so I do get a huge following from the Colombian uh, diaspora. So I get emails from like Colombians living in, in, in Edmonton, Alberta, you know, up there and, and saying, and, and then Fort McMurray. You know, and saying, "Oh, you know, this is my, although it's in English, this is my 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 connection to the country." You're talking about transitional justice in Colombia, or you're talking about maybe the prison system. They they love to hear about foreigners or expats doing great things, but they also want to know a little bit more beyond what is in the mainstream press, which seems to be, or intends to be, so very negative. And that's not to say I don't focus on some negative things. I mean, we've had, you know, uh, an interviewee was an Englishman who was kidnapped and held for over a year uh, up at, near to the Darien Gap uh, between um, Panama and, and, and Colombia. And we've had the prison story. And I've done other things and security issues. But these are things that people want to hear about maybe before visiting as well. So I, I try and cover a lot of, a lot of ground. And of course, as you say, as, as we were just mentioning, sometimes it's not so easy to always get the people you want. And sometimes you just have to take what's available. Yeah. Uh, so I do jump around a lot with the themes, but I, I just try and keep it interesting, like a good chat. Yeah, exactly. Uh, speaking of good chats, let, let's go back to some of your freewheeling days. So um, oh. did you have any interesting run-ins? I mean, other than things burrowing into your foot? Uh, I mean, uh, any exciting bus rides or or holdups or, or yeah. mayhem? Uh, you know, there's always good. There's always grounds for mayhem. And I think maybe more so in the past than today. I mean, you know, I started backpacking when we didn't use the internet and we didn't book hotels or anything. You just turned up in places where, where actually the guidebooks, you know, really were your, your guides. I mean, that was it. And uh, that, that seems, seems so long ago. But today, you know, people text you and WhatsApp you and whatever with reservations and, and you know, and so it gets, but run-ins I've had many, I'm, perhaps some, some that cannot be shared here and some that may be shared. I mean, I've been, what was it? I've been threatened with being jailed on the Costa Rica and Panama border. I've had to, I got sent away from the Ecuadorian border with Peru 
for not looking like my passport photo once, <laughs> and and they sent me away to go and shave. Oh. <laughs> and I came back, and uh, then you I were, came back, and acceptable. the border official wasn't there. You know, oh, <laughs> oh drat. <laughs> it's like you know, I had a you know, I had I had a you know, but again, before hipsters had hipster beards, I had this huge, you know, I, I looked like Castaway, you know, <laughs> and uh, and then he sent me away to shave. But the one in, in between Costa Rica and Panama was. They lined us all up in a in a like a pavilion, a huge like warehouse uh, as we were crossing, and we had to open our bags so that the the sniffer dogs could come through. And I forgot that I had some sort of meat pies in my bag, and that was my lunch after the twelve hour journey on this bus, you know, from San Jose, Costa Rica, down to David, Panama, and. And the dog went mental and, and it lunged its head and, and, oh, and, and shoulders they, into my back. Did they think bag. it was drugs or something? And yeah, they thought it was drugs because right. they'd seen the dog going as crazy as that. And of course, you're in front of all your fellow passengers as well. And I'm the only gringo there. And you can, you, you can feel yourself being judged. You know, this silent judgment. Oh, the, the gringo, you know, he thinks that medical. he can get across with drugs because yeah, he's a white yeah, and all of this sort of stuff. Anyway, the dog then, his, his Alsatian withdraws its head and it's got all this sort of ground beef around its <laughs> and stuff. It's like, that was my lunch. And of course, everyone's laughing, but they don't replace your lunch, you know? <laughs> so, I, I'll just interpose, although I'm sure these are real meat pies, that, you know, a tour de force, of course, would be to put the drugs inside the meat pies. Because yeah. then they would say, oh, it's only meat pies. Okay, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I, I don't know. These these dogs are pretty well trained, I have to say. You know, the ones we've seen around here. You know, there have been, I mean, scrapes. There have been many, I have to say. We've, I've been in car accidents. I've been in volcanic eruptions, earthquakes. Whoa, 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 whoa. Volcanic <laughs> eruptions. No, that's something well, I that's haven't I Guatemala. experienced. Guatemala, okay. So, yeah. so they had an eruption and you happened to be in town? Well, I was living in Guate in the in in the capital city, but it was about it was around the time of it was 1998, so a long time ago. Now the, the volcano erupted on my birthday, and I was working at oh. the I was working at the international school there. That was this way back then when when I considered teaching for a while, and and then school was cancelled because everything had two inches of ash on it. All the cars, <laughs> the roads. I mean, there you go. I know, you know. Days previously, we'd seen the windows bend inwards with, with the, the earth tremor that was going on and the earthquake. I mean, it, you know, these countries that live on this sort of ring of fire. It, 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 oh, and that was also the year of Hurricane Mitch as well, you know. It's a, so, uh, so there was that destruction as well. That destruction as well. When we were stuck in our houses for several days, of course, we were in a, in a nice area of town with with food and everything. Not like you know the people who really suffered out in the countryside. But in one year, earthquakes, volcanoes, and hurricanes. It, that 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 is a quite a bit of mayhem. I mean, yeah, it kind of makes me wonder. You know, um, I, here in Canada, we don't generally have volcanoes. No. We have wimpy earthquakes, right? We don't have hurricanes. As of yet, right? And we don't we don't have giant bugs like when I when I went. My wife, her family comes from Barbados, so I go to Barbados every once in a while. And they live in Saint Lucie, which is the very north part of Barbados. And there are centipedes so large there that you have to take a hatchet and actually (laughs) chop the centipedes up into little pieces. And I mean. I mean, no joke. Like I saw, uh, 
in the old house we were at, because we we're staying at her her father's house, which was partially abandoned, yeah. uh, we actually saw a rat and a centipede, like go at it, like literally <laughs> have a battle. Right? That's crazy. So. It kind of makes me wonder, like, sort of like, you know, the obstacles, you know, to, to I guess, what we would consider Western civilization, in um, which includes the Americas, in some of these South American countries versus Canada, where basically, like, you don't have as much stuff trying to kill you, it seems, or, or, or you know, things acting against you. What do you think of that? <laughs> well, you know, I'm at the moment, you know, you're speaking to me in, here in Bogota, and, and we're two and a half uh, kilometers above sea level, 2,600 meters, uh, you know. So up at this height, we really don't have those, uh, no, those critters. Right. Yeah. Is but, it drier up there? Like, yeah, is it's, it, yeah. It's drier and, and, you know, the oxygen's thin, but when you're down in the lowlands... <clears throat> There's any number of, of creepy crawlies that, that are after you. I, I don't think about it anymore. You know, it's, I've been down here quite some time. I, don't, I really don't think about do, it. Um, do, but do, I, do Colombians go camping for sport? Because um, I, would, I, I would be <laughs> scared crapless if I went, tried to go it, with all that stuff. I mean, I guess there's bears in Canada and parts of Canada, yeah. but... Well, you know, I used to say that my uncle was almost killed by a moose uh, driving around the, the northern end of the Great Lakes, wasn't it? <laughs> so, years ago. Um, I've been camping out in, in jungle areas where there's nothing in just a, a hammock and a, and a mosquito net. And we woke up because we knew that, you know, there were four of us there. Uh, we, were, we knew something was coming through the camp. We didn't know what it was. And in the morning, we figured it must have been like a wild boar type thing. But I don't, you just, the, the, the small critters I don't really even think of. I'm not lifting up rocks and trying to look for I, them. Uh, I would, I mean, I would be kicking my boots every morning. And, oh, know. yeah, no, for scorpions and things. But you do that. I mean, you just get into the habit of that. Those are things that you don't think about. It's, it's kind of like, ah, oh, they're there. I don't know if you've ever been to northern Canada, but uh, the mosquitoes up there are are obscene. I mean, you can actually feel the blood being drained from your body. I don't know what it's like in, in when you're in the Amazon. You know what? It, I've always considered that it's probably worse in northern Canada, in truth, because I've seen you know, footage of this, and I was almost sent to work uh, one summer when I was a, a young student. My father was from Winnipeg, and so he always thought that I needed to be toughened up, I think. Uh, he was going to send me up to the, 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 the up north in Saskatchewan to help clear brush for a diamond mine way back. And that, you know, he, you know, he, okay, he's passed on, but he's of a generation that they went up, you know, on, on mules up into the, the North, Northwestern territories to, to scope for oil and, and so on and so forth. So, you know, th those stories have kind of stuck with me about the, the I, I, you know, clouds of mosquitoes that you get up there, okay, you can get mosquitoes in the Amazon and, and so on. It's, it's nothing like that, though, at all. It's nothing like this sort of dense mist descending upon hey, you, which is the image I get from northern Canada. <laughs> maybe it's because you're the only thing in miles. So it every mosquito just, just zooms in on you. <laughs> every single one homes in. It's very possible. It's very possible indeed. Um, you know, I think if you're down in the southern plains... Uh, you know where this meets the the, the Colombian plains meet the uh, the Amazon. I'm sure there's plenty of mosquitoes. 
Um, we've been suffering from, we've been having real troubles uh, this last year, the last six months with uh, the two sort of newish, or at least they're new now in the public conscience, uh, mosquito-borne diseases, the chikungunya and Zika. So, oh, Zika, but, yeah. Yeah, you know, and so it's, 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 we have our mosquitoes, but I just don't ever, I've never experienced anything that I could possibly envision being similar to those of northern Canada. In Colombia, I mean, do you have any major festivals coming up and uh, any fun ones coming up that you can think of? Do you guys have anything sort of like Carnival over there? Oh, yes. Well, Carnival is, is the, the second biggest uh, carnival in South America is in Barranquilla, Colombia. So behind that of Rio and and in in Brazil, it's uh, it's now uh, what do they call it? A, an intangible world heritage uh, carnival. So it can't be changed. It's the UNESCO has got together to protect it, so that it's true to its folklore. So it's all about uh, the different pre-Columbian, so prior to the Hispanic arrival, the dances, the African dances, the Amerindian dances, and that's in Barranquilla at the same time as Carnaval, uh, well, because of course Carnaval, the same period all year round, so that's a huge, huge Carnaval in the big city on the coast. Uh, I think there's a fiesta or a, or a feria or some kind of party on every single day of the year here in Colombia. We really are uh, this country knows how to party. I mean, you could you could pretty much, uh, I think, follow a calen- calendar of events. Now, we're Easter is a huge uh, celebration, of course, with the Semana Santa um, processions. But you can go to smaller towns, let's say more intermediary towns, where you'd get involved in the f- fiesta. The people would sort of, I think, embrace you and swallow you up into the whole into the whole uh, party spirit because they're so happy to see foreigners coming. You could go to the Festival de San Pacho in, in Quibdó, which is a, as a, you know, a city that's hardly ever visited. I think if you were there and it's the all sort of African music from the, from the descendants of the former uh, freed or escaped African slaves. I mean, there's, there's something for every day uh, here in Colombia in truth. I haven't been to nearly enough, but my, uh, my footloose and fancy free days are, are, have been numbered ever since uh, getting married and having a kid. <laughs> Speaking Bogota, but also Colombia as well. Um, I mean, is there a signature dish? Is there like a meal that you are most fond of? Uh, but because Colombia's like several countries in one, right? Because we've got the Andean, we've got the Amazonian, then there's a Caribbean side and the Pacific side. So there's all sorts of different dishes for each region. And that's what makes traveling to Colombia so exciting is that you really do feel like you're changing country between area. If you're up on the north coast in Cartagena, your, your, your dish will mainly be seafood based, <clears throat> a good red snapper with some coconut rice, uh, plantains. That's a very Caribbean style. But if you're in the interior, where we are now, up at 2,600 meters up in Bogota, you've got things like the ajiaco. Now, the ajiaco is the traditional soup. 
uh, because the nights here are chilly, you know, we're up this high, it gets a little bit cold, not cold, I'm not talking Canada cold, but chilly for us, and and uh, uh, you guys would be around in, you know, shorts and, and flip-flops here, but uh, it's it's chilly, but these, these, these hearty soups made with three different types of potato, an indigenous herb to the region called Waska, and then they mix in a, a chicken, shredded chicken breast and corn, and they put capers and sour cream on top, and I tell you, it's such a good meal that after having that at lunch you need a siesta and then you won't eat again for the rest of the day that sounds delicious um it's really good i guess when i think about when i thought about colombia i I never really considered i mean it makes sense if you think about it the caribbean (laughs) it makes sense but i never made that link before in my head you know of being like there being a caribbean side of colombia yeah, I mean, it's huge. It's a long and, and you know, it extends all the way from, from the Panamanian border all the way along to, to Venezuela. And when you get up to that, that north uh, easterly point with Venezuela, that's a whole desert area as well. I mean, within Colombia, we have the highest mountain range. It's a, so, uh, it's a solo standing mountain range on the Caribbean coast. So you can be on the beach and look behind you and see snow. Then we've got jungles up there, we've got deserts, we've got the Andes Mountains, we've got savannas towards the west, east with Venezuela, Amazon jungle. I mean, you've got a bit of everything. Can you tell me a little bit about any projects you might have going on on, that you're working on currently? Uh, Absolutely, Sean. Uh, Well, I'm quite busy. Uh, Aside from the Columbia Calling podcast, which I do do every week and trying to build on that and create it uh, bigger and better all the time, I have my own blog, which is richardmccall.com. Last year, exactly a year ago, I I co-edited and co-authored a book called Was Gabo an Irishman? Tales from Gabriel Garcia Marquez's Colombia, which is available on Amazon. It's doing very well. I'm also working at the moment. I've just started this year uh, a PhD at university here. In addition to reporting for the international press, on the peace dialogues that are going on. So you mm. can see my writing usually in, in quite a lot of the mainstream press. If you just Google my name, but I'm always working. And, and on the back burner, I have finished the first draft of a book about my experiences opening up a hotel in the middle of nowhere, Colombia. So hopefully this year I'll be able to get to, you know, to go through it again and, and find a publisher. I'm hoping it's not as goofy as Faulty Towers, or although maybe it is. Maybe it'd be kind well, of fun. We have- we have faulty towers moments. There's no doubt about it. I mean, there, yes, I, I, I do become the irate English landlord, you know, at some points. But I, I stop short of uh, mimicking the goose-stepping Germans across the kitchen. <laughs> to say. Yes, yes, that would be the episode. I believe it's called the Germans. <laughs> yes, that's right. But I have had one of my favorites. Yes, yes. Listen, Richard, thanks so much for being on the show. And uh, you're totally welcome to come back later. I think we can have more interesting discussions. Excellent. It'll be a real pleasure. I would love to, would love to come back at a later date. Well, I hope you enjoy the conversation with Richard. Remember, you can learn more about him at his website, richardmccall.com. Also, please visit shareasliceplicast.com. That's where you can listen to all the previous episodes and subscribe on iTunes and Android devices as well. All music is by Chromatics, K-R-O-M-A-T-I-K-S, and is used with permission. You can find them over on SoundCloud and Facebook too. 
Thanks so much for listening. 